We're going to continue our, our series called The Path of the Exile. And what we're doing is we're just walking through the book of First Peter. And we've got several scriptures in, but I want to just continue right out of the gate in First Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. It says this, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In this scripture, there's a lot of things we could mine out of this and a lot of truths and a lot of, a lot of things here. It talks about Jesus being chosen and precious. It talks about being living stones. It talks about how we also are living stones. It talks about how there's a holy priesthood now. Now we don't need a, a mediator between us and God that we can go directly to him through Jesus because of the way that he made. And it talks about spiritual sacrifices, how in the old covenant they would, they would offer sacrifices on the altar, but in the new covenant we can offer spiritual sacrifices of praise, of worship, of prayer. In fact, our whole life in Romans chapter 12 it talks about that, giving our whole life as an acceptable sacrifice to God. And yet, when I read this scripture, there was one particular word that stood out to me. There was one word, and it might be surprising, out of all of that, out of all of that amazing stuff that's in there, there was one word that stood out to me, and it was the word rejected. And it said that Jesus was rejected. He's a living stone that reject, it was rejected, but then also that we are living stones. And how many of you guys know that if we are living stones like he's a living stone, just like he was rejected, there are going to be times that we are rejected, right? There's going to be times that we are rejected and that, that uh, it, it's not just going to be a possibility, but it's an inevitability. I mean, it's going to happen. And, and I just started out of all of that great stuff in that scripture, I, I went back to God and I was like, why did, that, why did that word jump out to me out of anything else? And, and God spoke to me and he said, it's, it's because it's easy to see life through the eyes of your pain rather through the eyes of Jesus. In fact, that's where a lot of us default to. The first thing we see is through the eyes of, or through the lens of our pain. And so when I saw that word rejected, it just represented how you can have all of this good stuff and yet still see the one thing through the eye of pain. And I thought, wow, that, that's so powerful because it's, it's all around us. It's all around us. It reminds me of a story. There was a pastor's conference that was going on and, and this guy got up and he, and he stood up and he was talking just to pastors and he said, um, pastors, you know, you, you, I probably don't have to tell you, but I don't know anything about your church, but I can tell you that at least 10% of them are devils. <laughs> and he was talking about, because I don't know if you guys know this, but 90% of people in church are amazingly awesome. There's about 10% that cause some problems, that stir up strife, that do all that type of stuff. And by the way, if you think this is just unique, that, like this is just something that, that the, the church deals with, you know, even Jesus dealt with this. I believe it was John chapter 6, verse 70, where he said, I chose the 12 of you and one of you the devil. And so even Jesus had some issues with people on his team. And so he was talking to pastors in a pastor's conference and he said, I, I know that there's, there's, you know, I don't know anything about your church, but I know 10% of them are probably devils. And all the pastors laughed because they were thinking probably of names of people that were problem people for them and kind of a thorn in their flesh. And so he asked them a question. I want you guys to participate. He asked them a question. He said, so if you have a hundred people in your church, how many of them are devils? All right, and he said, all right, if you have a 1,000 people in your church, how many of them are devils? 
You guys are good so far. You guys are good. He said, if you have 10,000 people in your church, how many of them are devils? All right, and then he said this. He said, if you can't handle 10 devils, why are you praying for 100? And so many people in their life, we, we, it, we're the same way. We, we're the same way. Do you realize in relationships, if you wanna be in relationship with people, you are gonna have pain in relationship? And so many of us have such a low threshold for pain in relationship. And maybe we feel disconnected in relationship. We feel rejected in relationship. Maybe because somebody didn't look at us right or maybe because we didn't get a, you know, a, a friend uh, like the way we thought we were or maybe we didn't get in the real life group that we wanted to or I don't know what your issue is or what your situation is. But so many of us feel this pain of rejection in these areas, these small areas, and yet we're praying for more connection with people. Can I just tell you, if you can't handle 10 devils, why would you pray for 100? Because when you get connected to people even deeper, that's when real pain happens. And the truth is, you'll only grow to your threshold of pain. You'll only grow to your threshold of pain. And so if you want real connection and community with other believers, you, your prayer shouldn't just be, Lord, I want to have no pain. Your prayer should be increase my threshold of pain so that I can love above the pain. And, and so many of us, though, we, we get stuck on that and, and we, get, we feel rejection in a certain way and we get, we get stuck in this rejection. We get stuck in this rejection. And here's the thing about rejection. Rejection is really just like a container for all sorts of pains. It doesn't matter what the pain is. We, a lot of times, interpret it in this container of rejection. I'll give you an out-of-the-box idea for that. When we were getting ready to plant this church, we didn't know we were planting a church. We didn't know we were starting this church. We just heard God stirring in our heart. And so we got to the point where, where I felt like God was going to take us anywhere in the world. We remember having these conversations. God, we're ready to go anywhere in the world. And then after much prayer and discernment, we, we felt like, okay, we're supposed to go 40 miles south of where we were. And so you have this, this like, did I, did I hear God? Did I miss God? And, and you feel like this pressure. Did I get following God right, you know? My dad, I, I remember my dad when, and I was thinking about this story a little deeper last night after I shared it, but I'm pretty sure this is the way it went. Um, I love my dad because my dad, when he hears from God, he'll just do anything. He'll just, whatever it is, doesn't matter how crazy it is or how big it is or what it costs him, he'll just do whatever it takes. And so he heard God one time when we were kids, and I remember this, he, he heard God say that, you know, speaking to his heart, like, I've got something for you. I've got a next plan for you, next season for you. And he said this, he heard these words, go north. And so my dad loaded us all up and we started driving north. And we kept driving. We kept driving. Is this it? Is this it? Is this it? We ended up in Canada. And we're still looking around like, is this it, God? You said go north. So we get all the way back. We get all the way back uh, on the way back. And I, I believe this is how the story went, that when we were, we were filling up at a gas station about nine miles north of where we lived. And God said, this is it. <laughs> and we planted a church right there. But you know, it's, it's easy to get condemnation like when you're like, oh, I thought I heard God, you know? And then you're, ah, oh, am I gonna get rejected? What will people think? How many of you guys have ever had that thought before? What will people think? 
And see, this is the pain that we go through, and rejection comes into this container of all kinds of pain. But I can tell you this, pain in the past will definitely hinder joy in the future. And many times we're carriers of that pain. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6 through 8 continues this, and it says, For it stands in Scripture, behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone. This is talking about Jesus. A cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So what happens for those who turn away from Jesus or don't follow Jesus, Jesus, not, he doesn't become a chosen and precious stone to them, but he becomes labeled as an offense or a stumbling block to them. And so people will even label Jesus. I mean, we're talking about Jesus, God in the flesh, the perfect lamb of God, and yet people would label him as an offense. People would know Jesus. Imagine this. Some people know Jesus as a stumbling block. The God that you know and worship, some people, to them, he's an offense because that's how they've labeled him. So let me ask you this. If Jesus is a living stone and he's been labeled, you're a living stone, what are you labeled as? What are you known by? What are you known by? Because it's important that we figure out what we're known by. I was reading a book by John Maxwell. He's a leadership guy, and he was talking about, I think the book was How to Be a People Person, and he was talking about different types of problem people that sometimes we have in our life, and he began to give them labels because there was a common thread for these types of people, and I'll just give you these labels that he put on these people because you might recognize some of them in your life. The first one he called the volcano. (laughs) Some of you guys already are like, oh, I know who that is, right? But he describes these people as, you know, you never know what will happen, but you might hit a certain button and then all of a sudden they just explode, right? You don't, you're walking around on pins and needles. You don't know what but it's going to take, but you're just waiting for it to happen, right? Some of you guys might be married to that person, you know? It's just grace to you, right? The next person he labeled was the thumb sucker. The, th- <laughs> the thumb sucker is a person who is uh, there. I mean, these people pout all the time. These people like have a rain cloud. Have you ever met somebody that seems like they have a rain cloud around them all the time? They're like Eeyore in the story. And they just, I mean, no matter what is going on, they find a reason why it's a heavy atmosphere. And they, even if things are good, they find a way why it, why, why it could possibly be bad. Next person he called was the wet blanket. These people even take it further. These people will, uh, uh, these are negative people, impossibility thinkers. As soon as you throw out an idea, they already have 10 reasons why it's a bad idea and why you should have never thought of it, okay? And they'll just douse everything. And the last person he called was the garbage collector. These people are even further. They're not just, just negative people or whatever. These people are the people who rehearse it over and over again. And they will, in fact, gather people around them to reinforce their negativity, to make it feel like even, and they'll collect things. Now, have you ever met somebody like this before? I think we, we all have met people like that before. And we know them because that's just kind of the air that they care, carry about them. So that's why I ask, what are you known for? What are you known by? If somebody was going to label you in a certain way, how would they label you? One way, and I always love to challenge people to ask this question to a trusted person. If you have a trusted person in your life and you really want to know what somebody thinks about you, ask them this question. What is it that everyone knows about me 
but no one is willing to say? What is it that everyone else knows about me, but no one is willing to say? And if you create a trusted environment for that, and you don't, you don't punish them for that, you don't retaliate, but you just let them speak, then you'll know what others, at least, are known by. And then you'll know what to do. But the point is this. We all experience pain of rejection. We all experience pain of many kinds that come in that rejection container. And I wrote this down because I believe this is significant for some people. Pain is not the problem. You're going to have pain. The problem is when you make a home for your pain. And when you make a home for your pain, you start to be known by your pain. Because every single person here is going to experience pain. Pain's not the problem. The problem is when we start to make a home for our pain. We start to make our pain comfortable. We start to make our pain welcome. We start to, make, we start to become known by our pain. Have you guys ever gone to a restaurant that somebody said, these people are known for this thing? You know, you barbecue restaurant. This is known for these. It's known for this, right? Some people are known by their pain. Some people are known by their sickness. Some people are known by their problem. Some people are known by their attitude. Some people are known by their mental illness. Some people are known by the, the, the aroma they have about them, spirit. Some people are known by their pain. Pain is not the problem. It's when we make a home for our pain. Some people are known by their immaturity. They're known by having to walk around on eggshells around them. So what are you known by? So I think I've done a decent job of presenting the issue that we have to wrestle with today, right? What's the solution? What's the, what, how do we move beyond being known by our pain? And even if you don't realize what you're known by, there could be people sitting all around you who have a label for you, and they didn't even want to put it there, but that's just what you've carried with you. So how do, you, how do we do that? How do we break out of this? What's the solution? I think instead of me telling you about it, it's better that I show you. Let's watch. Hmm, so it all started with pork. Well, not just pork, but we'll get to that in just a moment. It actually starts with this passage of scripture that Peter wrote. It's a very famous passage of scripture, and we just happened to come to it in our study in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. So he uses all this language that we typically think of about the people of Israel. I mean, we think about a holy nation. I mean, God's people were a holy nation, the family of Abraham, a chosen people. Uh, once, once we're not a people, but now formed into a people. And so all of this is typical language that we think about when we think about the Jewish people and the people of Israel, the family of Abraham. And the problem was that Peter wasn't talking to Jews. He was actually talking to Gentiles. And this is crazy, non-Jews. He was talking to non-Jews and using this type of language. And what's interesting is that he had grown up in this the whole time. I mean, he had grown up his whole life. He'd grown up around this, that this was the people of God, a holy nation, a holy people, and, and called out of darkness into his light, all of this stuff. And even when Jesus came and the cross came, it was still 
for just the Jews. And so what's interesting is God had to reveal this to Peter that that things were changing in the most remarkable ways. And this is the most remarkable thing that he revealed to Peter in this unusual way. And that's what takes us back to pork. Because as Peter, one day in the book of Acts, we go all the way to the book of Acts, and Peter is, is hungry one day, and he's waiting for lunch to be served or dinner to be served, and he goes up onto the roof, onto the balcony, and he's sitting there, and he's waiting, and he's really hungry, the Bible says, and all of a sudden, he falls into a trance, which I know we've all done before. Like, we're super hungry, and all of a sudden, we get into this food trance where it's like, I've got to eat, and all of a sudden, as he's in this, this vision that he begins to see, only it's a vision from God, he begins to see this vision of this sheet descending down from heaven. And in this sheet was all kinds of, of birds and animals and, and reptiles and, and meat, basically. And, and God speaks to Peter and says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter's looking at this. He's like, no, the, for the Jewish people, this is off limits. We can't eat pork. We can't eat all of these other things. And, and he says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And he says, I, I've never eaten anything that I'm not supposed to eat. Why are you telling me to do this? And, and why should I eat something that's common, something that's unclean? And then God begins to tell him and says, well, what I've called unclean, don't call common. No, or what I've called clean, don't call common. And so this happens three times. And then Peter comes out of it and he realizes that God is opening up the door beyond just the Jewish people and the family of Abraham to include non-Jews into this thing as if they are the family of God as well. And so he uses this beautiful language that we just read that says, you once were not, but now you are. So us, those of us who are not Jews, we've been grafted in. We, we once were not, but now we are. And that's a beautiful thing to hear. And all of us need to have that in our life where we hear this at some part, part of our life or some area of our life. You once were not, but now you are. You once were in trouble, but now you've been saved. You once were fearful, but now you trust. You once were, and that's one of the ways we measure growth. And so Jesus changes everything, and especially for us, he changes everything. And I'm so glad I get to eat this. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Amen. And you once were not, but now you are. Every one of us needs to have some sort of story like that, and that's really one of the ways we can see growth in our life as we look back and we see different areas like that. So here's the big question I have for you today. Are you known by your pain or the one who took your pain? Are you known by your pain or by the one who took your pain? And I can sum up the whole message in this statement right here. When you're in Christ, you may experience pain, but you're no longer known by it. When you're in Christ, let me say it again. When you're in Christ, you may experience pain, but you're no longer known by it. Because it's so easy for us to label each other and to label ourselves by our pain. It's so easy for us to settle into our pain. So easy for us to settle into a status or to a situational you know, pain or, you know, well, I'm just a divorced person or I'm just a single person or I'm just a, what, I'm just a, a hurt person or I'm a rejected person. It's so easy for us to do that. 
But when you're in Christ, you may experience pain, but you're no longer known by pain. See, we have so much trouble with this, even when we're telling the, the stories in the Bible. And some of you guys grew up in Sunday school, and you heard all these stories. Have you guys heard a story about a guy named Blind Bartimaeus? Anybody heard a story about him? What about the ten lepers? Anybody ever heard of the ten lepers, the story of the ten lepers? A few of you guys have. Uh, what about the beggar at the gate called Beautiful? In Acts chapter 3, I believe, as, as Peter and John are walking up to the, in the hour of prayer, and they, they go up there. I want you to think about, I actually woke up in the middle of the night Thursday, I was, went to sleep Thursday, woke up, and I, I love it when God does this to me, but he's always wakes me up, and I'm not thinking about any of this stuff, and all of a sudden he puts these thoughts right there, and I'm like, oh great, now I gotta get up and write this down, you know? But all of a sudden, out of a dead sleep, I wake up and I, and I hear this, and it's like, why do we label people by their pain? See, the story goes like this. Blind Bartimaeus was blind, but then he got healed. The ten lepers were lepers, but then they got healed. The beggar at the gate was a beggar, but then he got up and he was walking and leaping and praising God. I don't believe there is a blind Bartimaeus anymore. In heaven, he's not blind Bartimaeus, is he? So in heaven, he... I mean, just, I mean, he got healed, so he was no longer blind Bartimaeus. I guess he was just Bart. I don't know what his name is. He's just Bart now, you know? The 10 lepers, they, they were no longer the 10 lepers. They were just like the 10 dudes or whatever they called him. I don't know what they called him. The beggar, I don't know. What, what, he, he got a job, became the mogul. I don't know what he was, you know? The point is this. It's easy for us to even, I know we're telling the stories, but it's easy for us even to look at people in the Bible and to identify them with their pain rather than with their healing. How easy is it for us to identify other people by their pain, to identify ourselves by our pain than by the one who has healed us? Pastor Aaron was, we were discussing this this week and, and talking about uh, several months ago, he was preparing for a, a message on spiritual warfare and he was thinking about back when, when we were kids and he was a kid and we would think about like angels and demons and, and if you were like a sheltered Christian kid, you might be brave enough to tell like a, a, a Holy Ghost story, you know? It involved demons and, and all, angels and the battle and you were always kind of iffy, like who's gonna win, kind of scared even to some degree. But he was realizing, no, that's not what it's like. Angels have, I mean, when a demon sees an angel, the angel is so much more powerful and he, you know, because the demon's the spirit, the angel's the spirit, and then God spoke to him and said, well, what do you think when the demons, what do you think the demons think when they look at you? Do you realize that if you're in Christ, every single one of us, we're made up of three parts, spirit, soul, body, we also are a spirit? Here's the difference, though, and here's what I want you to catch. The Bible says that we have been made in the image of God. Do you realize when a demon sees you, he stares straight into the image of God? You see, the only way that Satan can get you, see, God knows who you are and what you look like. Satan knows who you are and what you look like. But if he can get you to forget who you are and what you look like, he's got you. See, when, Jesus, when God looks at you, he looks at you through the lens of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Do you realize that that's also the way that, that Satan, he can see that as well. He can see that as well. So when God looks at you, he looks at you as the righteousness of God. 
The only way he can stop. And if you think you're the pain, if you think that you're the pain that you experience, then you are limiting the potential of the power that can be flowing through you. But if you don't know who you are, it doesn't matter. I didn't tell this story last night, but I feel compelled to tell it right now. Uh, years ago, I was on a mission trip to Spain. My wife and I, Becca, we took a bunch of teenagers over to Spain, and we were doing missions work and stuff. And, and so we flew all the way over. It was actually Becca's first time to ever fly in an airplane to go and take an international trip. And so we got all the way over there, and within 24 hours of us being there, we slept that night. We woke up in the morning. We got a call from back home And the call was this, that one of the teenager's father was out mowing the yard and he had a heart attack and he died. And now here this teenager was across the ocean and she didn't know that her father had passed away. I knew. And for about an hour there, as we were trying to figure things out and trying to work things out, like what do we do now and stuff, I knew, I saw this girl and I knew that she was a girl without a dad. So this is kind of a negative example of this, but she was a girl without a dad. I knew that, but she didn't know it. So her life was unaffected until that moment when I had to sit her down and I had to let her know, and then everything changed. Do you realize if you flip that around, that God is looking at you and he knows that you have a dad. It's called the father of all things, that you're one of his kids. But if you don't know it yet, you may act in a totally different way until that moment when it all clicks in and you realize that just like that word was given that the glory of God is on the inside of you. The glory of God is on the inside of you. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, 12 says this. says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of your flesh, which waged war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. What's he saying? He's t- given us things to focus on, things to feed, things to, to, to continue to, to fuel. And I believe God gave me this word for you guys. You give power to what you fuel. And if you're fueling your pain, you're giving power to your pain. But if you can fuel, and this is kind of part two of last week, if you can fuel the right identity in Christ, then guess what? You're giving power to that identity in Christ. You give power to what you fuel. Let me give you an example of this. I don't know if you realize this this or not, but I just talked about demons and angels and all all that stuff, whether you believe it or not, in 21st century America still exists and Satan is at work and the demonic power is is trying at, at any way that it can to try to influence and deceive one time we were praying for somebody who had an altar ministry time and there's some time where, where people were down at the altar and, and this particular person was starting to get, I mean, starting to get worked up, okay? And I, I could tell that it was, it was a demonic influence that was starting to happen. And, you know, it, it kept getting bigger and louder and trying to get more demonstrative and finally I just had enough. I went over there and I, and I grabbed this person. I just picked him right up and I looked him in the eyes and I said, you're done. I said, you're gonna either be free right now because of who we are in Christ or you're gonna walk away, but you're not gonna give a platform for the devil to try to display his power. Why? Because I know who I am. 
Because I know what authority we have in Jesus Christ. And I know that even when Jesus prayed for people, they tried to make a scene, and Jesus was like, no, we're not gonna have that because greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. We walk in that authority. Do you realize that you have that authority on the inside of you? I was talking to a young person last night. That no matter how long I talked to them, I don't know if they got it or not, but I had to keep saying that you have, it's not about what you do, it's about who you are. There's nothing you can do to make it any better or any worse. It's, it's about who you are. It's about who he's made you to be. And, and it's about that you once were, but now you are. Can you say that about some area of your life? Or are you identified by your pain? Are you identified by your tragedy, by your situation, by your rejection, by your hurt, by your sin, by your problem, by your, your sickness? What are, or are you known by Jesus? Are you known by him? I just feel like that some of us need to be reminded of this. Some of us need to be reminded of how big God is. Some of us need to be reminded of what he's done for us. Some of us need to be reminded of who we are instead of walking in fear that we could walk by faith. I saw this video this week and I thought this would encourage somebody. So let's watch. I want you to remember that God, God's created everything you see. He breathed it into existence. Remember when his people were caught up in slavery? He rescued them. What he did was he parted the sea and he made a way for them and then he delivered their enemies to them and he unlocks wounds and he provides water from a rock and he provides manna from heaven and he brought down the walls of Jericho. He froze the sun allowing victory. He's toppled giants with tiny stones. He's brought fire from heaven. He shut the mouths of lions. He preserved life in the belly of a well. He's fed thousands with a few loaves. He gives the weak strength. He heals the sick. He's made the blind see, the deaf ear, the mute speak, the lame walk, and he's overcome evil, and he's made a way through death for you and me by the death and the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, that we will live with him forever. We will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever and ever and ever. What are we afraid of? His resume is flawless. He controls everything. And he loves you. Some of us need to be reminded of that today. What matters is not who you're rejected by. What matters is who you're accepted by. And you've been accepted. You've been adopted. Your name has been changed. Your identity has been changed in Jesus Christ. I'm not, listen guys, I'm not trying to just preach good sermons. I'm trying to bring you to the face and to the feet of Jesus because I believe if you can see Jesus, that everything changes. Everything changes. So what we're going to do here in just a little bit is we're going to receive communion together. And it's going to be a time when we come and we remember all of this and we reset our hearts and, and all of that. It's going to be wonderful. And we're going to sing a song together and all of that. But after that, as we dismiss, we're gonna have, I'm going to invite the ministry leaders up and we're going to have a time of ministry and I want you during this next time, this next song and communion and all that stuff, to be opening up your heart to say, God, do I need to be set free in some area? Is there some area where I have become known by something and I need to be set free from that? I believe we have authority in Jesus Christ. The Bible says where two or three are gathered, there's power in our midst, amen? 
And if you need to be set free in some area, why not today? Why walk another day when you, you're bound by a wrong identity, where you're known by the wrong things, where you're held by your pain instead of held by Jesus' name? Why be, why be stuck in another, another day in that wrong identity? I believe you can be set free today. And we're gonna have our ministry teams come down and we're gonna agree with you and we're gonna take our authority in Jesus Christ and we're gonna see people get set free today. And I don't want you to miss out on that. But right now I'm gonna have the worship team come back up And I'm gonna have us all stand up. And if you would, just for a moment, just as we enter this last little closing time, if you would just stand up and bow your heads and close your eyes with me for just a moment. And I'd love to invite you just to to go into the deep places of your life and of your heart right now and ask yourself the honest question. I wonder what I'm known by. I wonder what I'm known by. Am I known by what happened to me? Am I known by Jesus? known by his identity. Begin to ask that. And let me talk to another group of people while you guys are pondering that and letting the Holy Spirit begin to work. And the Bible says in that scripture that we read that said that Jesus is the cornerstone. What does that mean? It means that he is the, the key place that the building can be built upon. That he's the solid structure that the building can be built upon. And some of us need to look honestly at our lives and ask the question, what am I building my life upon? What am I building my life upon? The Bible gives options. One, you can build it on the cornerstone, the rock of Jesus. Or others choose to build on wood, hay, or stubble, and those things all burn up in the end. Are we planning for this life or are we preparing for eternity? Too many of us are preparing for retirement but not preparing for eternity. So I ask you, so, I ask you to just be honest with yourself. What am I really building my life upon? What am I building my life upon that will last not just for retirement, but for eternity? Jesus died on the cross to take our pain, to take our old identity, our old reputation, to nail it there and leave it there. He rose from the dead because he's a resurrection God. And he wants to bring resurrection to your life. He wants to give you a brand new start, a brand new day. He rose from the dead, the first to rise rise from the dead in that way permanently. As a a prototype, as an example of what's going to happen to those who are in Christ. Those who would say yes to him. And today you have an opportunity to accept or reject Jesus. to, To place your life on the foundation that is the cornerstone or to continue to build your life on other things. And I just wanna invite you today to come face to face with Jesus. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Sean, I've never said yes to Jesus. I've never surrendered my heart to Jesus. I've never started to follow Jesus. I I know I'm not building my life on on the things that will last for eternity, but I, I feel compelled to say yes. Here's what happens when you do that today, by faith, when you reach out by faith. The Bible says that the grace of God will come and wash away all of the stain of sin. All of that pain of the old life can be made brand new in Christ. And again, when you're in Christ, you may experience pain, but you'll no longer be known by your pain. You'll be known as being in Christ, as gone from dark to light, from death to life. And if that's you today, you say, Pastor Sean, that's me. I need, to, I need to surrender my heart to Jesus today. I need to start to follow Jesus. 
I just need to know if we need to take a moment out of this service to pray for you. So if that's you, would you just right now just lift up your hand all over the auditorium. Just lift it up and hold it up. Thank you. Anybody else? Just keep it up if you could. Just keep it up by faith. All right. Anybody else? One more moment for you. All right, thank you. Come on, we got a little time. I don't want you to miss out on your moment if that's you. All right, what we're gonna do right now is we're gonna just talk to God and I'm gonna help you do it, okay? So maybe you've never done this before. It's really simple. We're we're just gonna talk to God. The Bible says that when something's happening in our heart, that let's speak that out. Let's make that real. Let's not just think about it inside, but let's make it real. Let's confess that outside. So I'm gonna help you to do that and it's gonna be the start of a brand new day. So I'm gonna ask everybody to pray it with us. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I believe you took my place and you washed my sin away. I believe you rose from the dead and you give eternal life. And I choose to follow you. I surrender my life by faith. I receive your grace and I confess that you're in charge of my life. And I will follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for those who've said this prayer today. Lord, I pray that it'd be made real to them today. We bind any voice of the enemy that would say it doesn't count for them or they're not good enough because it's not based on how good we are. It's based on what you've done for us. I pray for a revelation on the inside that they are a brand new creation. The old life really is gone. This really is day one of a brand new life. That they would have this revelation that they have brand new spiritual DNA on the inside. They've been made new. Everything has been made clean and fresh on the inside. And that they are right before you. They can stand before you with confidence, not because of who they are and how good they are, but because of your gift of grace. Lord, we thank you for that. We celebrate that.